It's always a pleasure to stand before God's people, to be able to open His Word, to be able to consider some of the precepts and the teachings that are found there. And uh, the congregation here always makes that such a pleasurable thing to be able to have people who I know are very interested in learning more of what God has to say and to dwell upon spiritual things. Tonight we're going to continue in a series of lessons that are upon favorite Bible passages. Several of you have given me what are your favorite passages, and the one that we're going to consider tonight was one that three or four of you gave me, and I thought that was very appropriate for us to take some time to study this passage. It comes from the prophets, and there are some great passages found in the messages of the prophets. Sometimes we don't appreciate the great work that the prophets did, but when Peter was writing, he made it clear that these men looked forward to the coming of the time of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and of the glories that would follow. I thought that last phrase represents what Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 is all about. The glories that follow. One of the great things that happens for those who are God's people. And some of these picture the blessings that we enjoy, and that in itself is comforting and encouraging. So tonight, we're going to study Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to end with verse 31. And what we're going to do is to look at three things, particularly as verse 31 focuses. We're going to look at the picture of an eagle. Uh, why does God inspire Isaiah to speak about an eagle. What is it that makes it so impressive? Number two, to look at the passage in its context. What was Isaiah saying that they would understand that focuses on a benefit for us? And then number three, the promise of God found in verse 31. Let's begin with the idea of the eagle. And when you think of an eagle, for me, I think of the great American eagle, that beautiful bird that soars high. But in the Bible, it many times is representative of a figure of strength, a figure of speed, stamina, safety, security. What a majestic bird it is in the eyes of God. In fact, let me just take you through a few passages of Scripture where the eagle is discussed. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, as Moses is picturing God's deliverance from the Egyptian bondage, he said, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You picture this great, glorious bird being a bird of transportation and the speed with which God delivered his people. Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. 
At the end of Moses' journey with the people of God, he said, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you do not understand. He's talking about the speed with which that bird traveled. In Psalm 103, verse 5, David writes, Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. An eagle is a a picture of something of youthfulness and uh, strong and fast and swift. Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19. There are three things which I do not under, which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four things which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Now you think about those four things, and particularly as you focus on the eagle, how it is that that bird can fly, how it can fly to such speeds that it does, and all of the glory that it has. In Revelation 12, verse 14, John concludes by saying, But the woman was given two wings as of a great eagle, that she may fly into the wilderness to her place. You see, the use of the giving of a person great wings like an eagle. Isaiah 40, verse 31 is going to focus on our being given wings like an eagle. What a wonderful picture you find there. But I want to put this passage in its context. And so for that reason, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. For a few minutes, what we're going to do is to concentrate on this great chapter. We're actually going to read these verses. And we're going to notice a few details that tie these things together. When you get to Isaiah chapter 40, you are dealing with a period of time which God is looking forward to the future. Earlier chapters in the book of Isaiah are looking backwards to the time of their life and all the problems and all the difficulties that they deserved because of their sinfulness. But when you move to chapter 40, the focus changes to the future and what God is going to do for them. And so I want you to read with me. We're going to pause some as we read through this. Comfort... Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her, The warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Now, I want you to pause for just a moment with me there. Comfort. Encourage my people. Tell them the war has ended. You know, in our country today, practically every one of us are in a privileged position. We have not seen in our lifetime the war come to the mainland part of where we live. Oh yes, we've been involved in wars in the Pacific. We've been involved in wars in Europe. We have been involved in wars in Southeast Asia. We've been involved in wars in the Middle East. But the truth is, we've not had it in our neighborhood. War 
I am sure to the people of Iraq and to the people of Afghanistan is exhausting. For someone to say, here is the end of the war, there is relief, there's not death anymore. Tell her that her iniquity is pardoned. God is saying, it's over. Now, for me, I'm trying to think, when would this apply? Look with me as we continue reading in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. Oh, I don't have to wonder about that. Matthew chapter 3 verse 3. Jesus said, for this is he of whom it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He's talking about John the Baptist. He is having reference to the fact that John the Baptist is the one that was spoken of here in Isaiah 40 in verse 3. So folks, what's happening is this is a prophecy of the coming of Christ and the glories that would follow. Keep reading. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, our God, stands forever. Again, I don't have to wonder about what is being discussed here. 1 Peter chapter 1, you remember I read part of it just a few minutes ago? As you drop down further to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, he says, because... All flesh is grass. He's trying to explain man is physical. And the word of God is something that is enduring. Man passes away. God's word does not pass away. You have to listen to God. And then verses 9 through 11. O Zion, you who bring good tidings... Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That's the picture of coming of Christ. Just like the great shepherd of the sheep. What a wonderful privilege to see, first of all, the deliverance that God is going to bring. But you see, when you get to verse 12, the focus changes. The focus changes from the deliverance to the God who is the deliverer. 
Such great words. You've got to read these with me. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured the heaven with a span? And calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and his heels in a balance? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or who as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Folks, what he is doing here is he is asking on the face of the earth, who has the knowledge of God? Look at verse 12. Measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. You just think about all the water that's on the face of this earth and the measuring of it. How much water is there? Man cannot calculate that. Measured the heaven with a span. The span was the width of a hand. How many times are you going to measure the size of the universe? Calculated the dust, the smallest particles... With a measure. Weighed the mountains and the hills in a balance. Which, which one weighs the most? Obviously the answer is none of us have done that. So then he focuses on God. And he asks the question, who has been God's counselor? You know there's times when there are things I do not know. Very smart will I be if I do not know something and I go to somebody else and I ask them to give me guidance. Who does God go to? No one else. Because God knows everything. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he quotes this in Romans chapter 11, verses 32 and 33. All the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Do you see the focus is on God as the deliverer? Verses 15 through 18. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. To whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare to him? What Isaiah is doing in this prophecy is saying, God is going to provide you a deliverance. But look at the God that is doing this. Look at his power. Look at his majesty. Look at his glory. Look at his knowledge. There's nobody you can compare God with. Which leads you to the third point within this great chapter. I could begin with verse 19, but I want to pick up with verse 27. There's a, there's a great message here. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and even to those who have no might, he increases strength. Pause with me for just a moment. So much power within such short of a passage. Why would people say in verse 27, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by, by my God. He has dealt with the fact of the power of God, the love of God, and now he's dealing with the knowledge of God. Does God see my problems? Does God care about my problems? And will God do anything about my problems? And the answer is yes. Have you not heard? Have you not known about God? Now what about him? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Well, let's pick up with verse 30 and 31. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles' wings, or wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. This passage says that God intended to deliver man through Christ, through Jesus, our Savior. He has the power to do so, and He will do so. For us, we look retrospectively upon this passage. For them, it was something in prospect, something to come. Now let me focus our minds now on the promise. Let's, let's really focus in on verse 31. This is the, the favorite passage. Those who wait will do four things. He says they will renew, they will mount, they will run, and they will walk. There's a lot within that. First thing I think is important to notice is the first thing he's saying, those who wait on the Lord. What does that convey? What does that mean, waiting on the Lord? In Psalm 24, verse 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, verses 9 and 34, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you in, to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Do you know what the word wait means? It means not now. 
little child comes in and says, I want a cookie. Okay, wait till supper is over, and then you can have a cookie. Wait means not now. Too often man wants to push things to go faster than they are. Let me give you just a great illustration. of This is a biblical illustration. The children of Israel clamored for a king. We want a king. Give us a king. We want a king like everybody around about us. God says, okay, I'll let you have a king. I'll let you have Saul. Samuel was sent to anoint Saul over the children of Israel, and he did. And God told Saul through Samuel to wait on him until he arrived to offer the offerings. In 1 Samuel 13, Samuel didn't arrive when Saul thought that he ought to have arrived. He waited and he waited and he waited. And so he thought, well, the people are going to scatter from me. So then what happens is Saul goes ahead and makes the offering. And just as soon as he does, Samuel comes. He didn't wait on the Lord. We get antsy sometimes. Oh, we've got to do it. We've got to do it now. No, you've got to learn to let the Lord's plan work out. That's really hard. And the reason why many times we're unwilling to wait is because we think it depends upon us. No, it depends upon God. God expects man to wait on him and to follow his plan. Well, now, what if I do? He said, you will renew your strength. Take a little time. Study the words there. Renew is the word to describe the sprouting again that takes place in the spring of the grass and the flowers. He's already given the picture of the grass withering, the flower fading. You know, it's fall beginning today. Began this afternoon, I think at 3.22 in the afternoon. 4.22? 42. Oh, I'm sorry. Shows how good my memory is. But this afternoon, you know what's going to happen The leaves are going to turn. They're going to fall off the trees. And death will appear all around us. But long about March and April, things will begin to sprout and to renew. I want you to listen to Isaiah 41. These are the words that follow this. Very next things in the chapter. Keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, let them speak, let them come near together for judgment. Who raised up one from the east? Now, I'm not going to go ahead and continue reading. But God is saying, there's hope. There's a future. There's a renewal that is on the horizon. Second thing, he says, they're going to mount up. With wings like eagles. The word mount up, according to Jeremiah 46, 14, is like a person who mounts up on a horse. 
the picture that you have got to get in your mind to focus on is here's an eagle with his wings spread out and we're like, you're going to mount on a horse, you're going to mount on the back of an eagle and you're going to fly. Jeremiah 46.4 Harness the horses and mount up, you horsemen. Then he says they're going to run and not be weary. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take very long for me to get weary doing something strenuous. In fact, if you're as heavy as I am, it doesn't take very long at all to be tired. But the picture is here, a man will run and not be weary. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by uh, so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. What he says is as long as you keep your eyes focused on Jesus and you look at what he is doing and you keep following him, you're not going to become weary. You're not going to become discouraged in your souls. Number four, you're going to walk and not faint. The idea of fainting in the Bible is not like we use the word faint today. Somebody says, oh, they, they got so excited they fainted. The word faint means to give up. In fact, the New Testament uses the word, and New King James translates it, as lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Galatians 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not faint. So his picture is, if I wait on God, what will I do? I'm going to be renewed in my strength. I'm going to mount up like on eagle's wings and I am going to walk and I'm not going to be weary and I'm going to walk and I'm not going to give up. What a great promise is found there. We can soar like eagles. There's a song that I really like and I thought it would be good to include it. it. says, we have to realize who it is that is the wind beneath our wings. You know, in that song, it's a popular song. You are the wind beneath my wings. You make me fly. You make me soar. Spiritually speaking, it's God that makes us soar, that makes us fly. But don't lose sight of the fact that the context of this passage from verse 1 through verse 31 focuses on the coming of Christ and the passages that talks about the blessings that will follow. If you will, take your songbook out now.
we're going to sing the invitation song. It is to encourage those who are not Christians to become Christians. The Lord loves you. The Lord provided the sacrifice of Jesus for you. He made it possible for you to enjoy these blessings. But you have to come in faith, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith and being baptized. And God also looks for His children. In this context, chapter 40, they had suffered. But now God is ready to offer reassurance. And the same is offered to us today. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?